I'd like to start off by saying that exercise in general boosts your immune system. So when we exercise, we increase the number of T cells in our body, and those are the cells that are responsible for fighting off infection. So exercise for most of us is a good thing and we should keep doing it. However, the big question is, what do I do when I'm sick? And I think that this is a question as, runner, as runners that we all face, knowing when we should probably stay in bed or when it's okay to lace up and get out there. Welcome to Maybe Running Will Help, the podcast that reminds us that running is about more than just performance and PRs. I'm Nikki Tamburino, also known on Instagram as One Classy Mother Runner. I'm an RRCA certified running coach and personal development enthusiast who knows firsthand that running has the power to transform our minds and our lives one step at a time. I'm excited to bring you stories from the community as well as research so we can explore the expected and not so expected ways running can and has helped make life better, regardless of your pace, place, or experience. Let's get started. This week, we're talking about being sick, and I know I don't have to tell you guys this, but I'm going to say it anyway. The opinions and advice you hear in this episode, while coming from legit professionals, are not a substitute for or an excuse not to see a doctor. Yeah, I, I, I freaking love doctors. Hi, guys. I am really excited about our guests today. I am so lucky to have some of the smartest running friends. That's right, Doctors. The first guest you heard kicking off the show was Maggie Arnold. She's extremely humble in her introduction, which you'll hear in a minute. She's a vascular surgeon, and I run with her. We'll also hear from Dr. Annie Neuror, who is on IG as the Pace Doctor. I met her for the first time during this interview, and we had a blast talking about being sick. I mean, hello, new friend. (laughs) And guys... I got my running coach, Jeff Berger, to be on the show this week. I'll be annoying him with all my questions as usual, but this time on a recorded line. You guys are going to love these people as much as I do. Let's get started. Hi, this is Maggie Arnold, and I'm really excited to be a part of this episode of Maybe Running Will Help. Uh, I have been running behind Nikki for many years, and uh, just as a way of introduction, I am by profession a doctor and uh, a very amateur runner. Um, And as a caveat, I'm not a sports medicine doctor or an infectious disease specialist. I'm just a runner who also happens to be a doctor, and I'm just sharing some of the insights that I have had personally and also professionally when it comes to running and illness. Okay, before we dive in and hear more from Maggie, we need to back up a few weeks to when I was asking myself the very question we're about to discuss during the taper, I always freak out and think that I have everything. So I, <laughs> so wasn't, I wasn't really sure, like, if I could trust, like, how I was feeling. I tested negative for COVID, like, multiple times. And I was just, like, I was kind of freaking out. And I was like, okay, well, what if I do have COVID and I'm testing negative? 
And then I run a marathon. Am I going to, is my heart going to like explode? Like what is the deal? So clearly I was freaking out. I just wanted to know when is sick too sick to run? Um, it's scary because those symptoms are so different and they change and you know you read one thing and you read another and it's like oh my gosh am I at mile 22 or do I have COVID yep that was Dr. Annie Neuer and within 10 minutes of meeting her I started spilling all my neurotic taper tendencies but she understood because she's also a runner eventually I get to the point When is it okay to run? When is it not okay to run? And anything that you have learned about COVID? Because I know it's fairly kind of a new thing that people are talking about with COVID and exercise. Yeah. So my name is Dr. Annie Neuror. I'm a physical therapist and a clinical orthopedic specialist. She is also a running and biomotion specialist out of Sinai Hospital, which is based in um, Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. So that wasn't super smooth. There was a little glitch with the intro. Even though I'm a doc- I have my doctorate of physical therapy, I like to preface these types of conversations that I'm not a medical doctor or a virologist. So when I talk about you know, things like COVID and, and disease and illness, that's actually not my pure specialty. My main specialty is treating runners with orthopedic conditions. But COVID has been something that I've had myself and that I've dealt with um, with a lot of my patients as they return to running and okay. uh, also written on the subject for, for LifeBridge Health, too. So I'm fairly familiar with, you know, running through illness, but it's not my exact specialty, just to be clear. So whenever I feel something brewing, I check in to see if my symptoms are above the neck or in the danger zone. So the chest lung area yeah no that's a real thing that's um that was a that's been a concept for a while now and it has some pretty good research behind it um i think dr Schachter out of i think mount sinai hospital was the one who kind of coined that term or at least i give him credit for it the neck check i knew it was a thing and it seems like all the doctors agree turning it back over to maggie to tell us more so essentially if you're having symptoms that are in your neck or above, it's probably okay to go running. So what does that mean? Well, things like a stuffy nose, maybe a little bit of a sore throat, some congestion uh, in your head. Those are all things that in general are probably okay to proceed with running. So what if it's below the neck? Dr. Carrie Jaworski, a board-certified physician in family and sports medicine, is quoted in Women's Running and says, Pushing yourself to run when you have those below-the-neck symptoms can prolong your illness and put stress elsewhere. The body has to shift gears and focus on the run, and it puts a lot of stress on the body, particularly the heart. We'll talk more about heart stress and myocarditis later, but for now, let's go back to Maggie to learn what to look out for, when we can start running again, and why running with these types of symptoms is not worth the risk. If your symptoms are below your neck, so they include things like a cough, chest congestion, fever, overall fatigue, body aches and pains, pain when you're breathing, those are all things that probably say to you, you shouldn't run today. How long should you give yourself? 
In general, I like to say that you should probably give yourself time uh, until you're really feeling like you're over those symptoms that are below your neck. You definitely want to make sure that you don't have a fever, that you don't have any fatigue. Why is it important to not run when you're not feeling well? Well, as I mentioned before, when you're sick, your body has increased metabolic demands. Your body is using all the energy it can to fight infection. If you get out there and run, you're really depleting your body's own energy stores and ability to fight infection. So even though you don't want to miss those training days, if you get out there when you're really sick, you're probably going to end up actually missing more time. So when you're not feeling well, the best thing to do is take it easy, take a couple days off, and know that you're going to be out there soon. Okay, but during a training cycle, it can seem like every run is critical, and it's hard to take time off. What about from a coaching perspective? Is running when sick worth the risk? Right, so, so almost always the answer to that question is no. Oh, really? Okay. So if you have a fever, you know, I, I think my answer is always that you shouldn't run. I, I think kind of the gray area is that you're kind of feeling, you know, not great, kind of crappy, but you don't really have a fever. So it's like, what do I do? Before I grill Jeff with training questions and have him tell you more about his experience so you know you can trust him as much as I do with the answers, he noted that we shouldn't run with fever. And we need to explore this because while not running when you have a fever might seem obvious, there's a part of me that would still challenge it. Like, maybe I'll feel better if I run, or maybe the extra heat will speed up the healing process. Don't worry. Dr. Neuer explains why I'm wrong next, as she summarizes her two absolute no's. Oh, and I may or may not also try to justify running for my lung symptoms. Basically, when you have a fever, your body's using your own inflammatory response to basically take out a virus or take out an infection um, using your natural resources, which is typically inflammation via a fever. And what that does is it raises your body temperature. What we typically classify a fever as is something 100.5 or higher. Mm. Um, And when you introduce exercise to an already heightened body temperature, then you risk increasing that temperature further, which is bound to happen with exercise, no matter how intense it is, um, especially running. And then you can end up kind of cascading that, that body temperature so high that it actually can have detrimental effects to your own health, your brain health and things like that. So uh, I'll tell my runners, you really can't run through a fever. If you've got 100.5 temperature or higher, you really can't push that. You can't run through that. Um, so that's kind of my first absolute no. And then the second absolute no is right in line with what you talk about. Basically that you're, if you have chest symptoms, things like chest congestion or deep burning um, cough that kind of comes from your your lower chest versus just kind of an itchy throat cough that typically feels like it's coming from your throat and up. Mm-hmm. Um, things like body aches, which are typically more systemic and, and below the neck symptoms. Um, we I don't tell people to run through those. But if it's things, you know, like a sinus headache or it's a little congestion um, and everything seems to be throat and above, Typically, people can run through those, and it can actually be somewhat helpful for clearing those types of symptoms and congestion. <laughs> um, so, those are my two absolutes: is if you've got a fever, you can't, and if you have symptoms in your chest um, and and below your neck, then you can't. But like, what if the cold air feels good on your lungs? The cold air feels good. 
-hmm. So is the fact that like that feels good an indication that it may be helpful to be out in the fresh air and running or is that like, no. Right. So, so almost always the answer to that question is no. Oh, really? Okay. Um, it's tough because a lot of times we'll trick ourselves to like, whatever we want to do, we'll find reasons <laughs> as to why. <laughs> like if you're okay. really dying to go out on a run, you'll yeah. be like, Oh, well, I feel like this is really making me feel better. <laughs> Um, <laughs> or if you're dying to just stay on the couch and really you're fine, but you just don't want to do your run, you'll find kind of, well, this feels worse than it actually is. Um, yes. So it's kind of dependent on, on the, on the person. I will say that I think a lot of times with, with a cough in particular, a lot of worrisome, worrisome coughs are the kind that like physically burn in your chest mm. and, yeah. and you produce kind of this nasty, like green yellow phlegm and you right. know it's not just coming from like a an itchy throat or a little post nasal drip it's something that yeah. you can feel it kind of in the depths of your soul if that makes sense <laughs> yeah okay got it so say i've been successfully convinced i'm too sick to run what is the impact of taking time off on training? I think it's time Jeff makes a formal introduction. My name is Jeff Berger. I am an RRCA level one certified running coach and then a USATF um, level two with a specialty in endurance. Just kind of my background coaching. I've been coaching with Charm City Run um, since 2009. I've coached anywhere from 5K groups to marathon groups. The focus of my training for the last several years um, has been in uh, 2016, I designed, uh, well, I created a uh, training group that was focused on athletes who had either already qualified for or were focused on qualifying for Boston. For the last six years, I've been, um, that's the only group that I've coached. So I've been focused on that. You know, that's led to, I started coaching uh, more of the elite athletes um, in 2018, and then that led to the creation of the Charm City to Run uh, elite team, uh, which is something that I've been wanting to do for years. Oh, my experience is athletes are totally going to run when they shouldn't as opposed to skip a day. Most of us long distance runners are relatively healthy people, so we don't get sick very often. So when we do get sick, we, I think it's human nature, you know, we jump into a state of panic and we're like, why am I sick? What did I do? Who am I, you know, and we blame ourselves and we do all these weird things in our mind mm -hmm. to try to explain why we're sick. And sometimes like you just get sick. I treat so many runners and I, I, I have to prescribe them rest days or things like that. And, you know, you feel like it's the end of the world to take a day off or, you know, God forbid a week off, but the amount of detriment to your overall training in that amount of time is usually not bad compared to the amount of gains you might get from actually getting genuine rest for your body, whether it be like an illness or even like a musculoskeletal injury.
Okay, so some of us are not very good at the four-letter R word, but maybe we just need to know how taking time off will impact our training. So, um, I mean, I'll start with a little bit less than a week, but so basically three to five days off roughly has little to no impact on your training at all. Um, And so what I'm looking at as a coach when I say that is, you know, we kind of base your level of fitness based on your VO2 max, um, which kind of indicates how fast you can run in some ways that it can indicate how far you can run and then combining those two things with how fast you can run far. Um, so when you go up to like four or five days off, um, you, you, you maintain almost 100% of your fitness. And when I say almost, you know, you may lose point. 0.1% of your fitness, um, which becomes what, what that means to, to put that into running terms. Yeah. Um, you know, that would mean that you, you would roughly be one second per mile slower, um, in a, in a marathon, you know, not even in a 5k, you know, so you're talking about the difference between, and just to, I'll just choose a pace to make the math easy. If you're going into a marathon, trying to run a 659, um, that would mean that you might run a seven minute mile. Mm. Um, you know, so you're literally talking less than 30 seconds, um, over the course of, of a marathon when you get up to a week. Um, so the difference between, you know, there, there, there's no magic day, but when you get up to seven to 10 days off, you're going to lose somewhere between, um, you know, kind of point, point five to well, 0.05 to like, 0.1% um, or 0.15% of your fitness. Um, You know, and again, that just means, so we look at it from a VO2 max perspective. And if that means that um, if your VO2 max at that point of your training is an 80, which is very high, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you might be at a 78, (laughs) um, which is still extraordinarily high. Um, So to put that in kind of more layman's terms, you know, again, that's the difference between running, you know, that might be the three to four to five seconds a mile, um, slower. Mm -hmm. The difference between kind of the three to five to the seven to 10 days off is what you're going to do when you jump back into training. Yeah. So if you, if you take three days off or, you know, four days off for whatever reason, whether it's a cold, whether it's, um, work, you know, it can be a lot of reasons for those of us who aren't professional runners. Right. Um, if you take three days off f- from a coaching perspective, you can jump right back into training. Mm-hmm. So what that means is, is that if you did your long run on, on a Saturday, you did an easy run on Sunday, and then you took Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off, and you have a hard workout on Thursday, I'm not opposed to you just doing that hard workout. Okay. If you get into taking longer than that off, meaning you do your long run on a Saturday, you know, say you're, you're, you're pretty good into your training. So you, you run 18 miles on a Saturday. Um, you're going to run six, seven, eight miles on a, on a Sunday. And then you take off until the following Sunday. Um, and you have a workout prescribed in your training plan for that following Tuesday. I would tell you to not do that workout and just do an easy run. Um, so I would tell you to do three to four days of easy running before you attempted a workout when you get into kind of that seven, seven, eight days off. Um, and then that gets exponentially 
I don't know if worse is the right word, but it gets exponential. It, it gets more important exponentially mm-hmm. for you to, when you jump back into training to jump back in with e- easy days. Um, so the general rule, which is a good one to follow, which most people don't is that for, for every day off after five days, when you get back into training, you should do an easy day. So if you take six days off of running, you should do six easy days before you jump back into a workout. Okay. So does it matter where in the training cycle you are when you take time off? Right. Um, yeah. So the, the, it is going to sound backwards, but so the farther you are in training, um, in theory, the more fit you are. Right. So the more fit you are, the less fitness you lose. So, um, if you're, and, and I'll use myself as, as one of the examples, um, if you're, if you've been training for 15 consecutive weeks, which means that you are probably peaking, which means that you're, you know, at the top level of your fitness for that training cycle. Right. If you take two, three, four, five days off, you, you're, you have no no consequences basically whatsoever. Um, the example that I'll give for myself is that w- when I ran the, the Boston marathon in 2015, I got the flu and I got the flu basically the day after my last long run, um, which is essentially three weeks prior to the race. Oh my God. Yeah. So I didn't run for eight days. Um, Dude, I, I would freak out. Yeah. So I didn't run at all. And, um, at the time, when I ran that Boston marathon as everybody, well, I don't know if everybody knows this, but you know, this Boston's not an, an easy course. And I, and I PR in that Boston marathon. So the flu in 2015, isn't the only time Jeff has experienced sickness during training. He most recently got COVID while prepping for CIM last year. And this time, it was a different kind of marathon story. I got COVID on November 14th. So do you know which strain you got? I don't. So they never told me that. I mean, I'm assuming at the the time it was either this one or I guess Delta. Yeah. So my (laughs) symptoms were mostly flu-like. I never had a fever. Well, to the extent that I took my temperature. (laughs) Um, When I I went to get tested, I did not have have a fever. So I'll word it that way. I had just kind of the achiness. Um, I had a cough. Um, I never lost my smell or taste. Um, but it was just kind of that, that achiness, the chills, you, you would, you'd be cold. So you'd throw on a sweatshirt and then mm. two minutes later you're sweating. It was very flu like, but compared to when I had the flu, which again was 2015, like my symptoms were, were very mild. I never necessarily felt shortness of breath. Um, I will say I felt tired doing everything. So mm-hmm. I can't pinpoint that I was having trouble breathing or, or short of breath, but I would walk up the stairs and be like, wow, I'm tired. Starting in 2020, choosing to go running while sick carried a bit more weight. And most of us have been monitoring the status of just about any symptom we might have, way more than cold and flu seasons in the past. And as you guessed it, I've been more anxious with all the warnings about running with and after COVID. 
I've gotten a little bit worse with COVID. I'm just a little bit, <laughs> I'm a little bit more freaked out. So what is the deal with COVID? When can you return to exercise? And does it matter which strain you had? With each variant, I think it's going to take a while for them to establish post, post-COVID exercise guidelines. And the most recent ones that they did published was in January 2021. And that was built, o- built off of um, kind of more of the original variants that were more invasive into, you know, your lungs. They were finding a lot more um, instances of myocarditis, which is basically inflammation of, of the heart musculature and, and the surrounding areas of, of the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also some weird situations with vascular events, things like, you know, st- strokes or, or heart attacks or things with, you know, otherwise, you know, young, healthy people, um, just some weird, mysterious symptoms. And I, I can't say that they're going to find those types of things with Omicron because we just, it just hasn't been around long enough for the data to be published. But what you'll find is, is a lot of the data is fairly conservative because of these weird things that have happened, um, in otherwise young, healthy individuals. And, um, the British Medical Journal was the one who who really set out a really nice guideline. Um, and that was one of the things I think I'd sent to you over um, Instagram Messenger was was their guidelines and, and kind of how to approach it based on how severe your symptoms were. Um, yep. Basically, if you were so severe that you were hospitalized, you really need to go through um, like a cardiac or a COVID rehab program where you can actually be monitored Um throughout your return to exercise. But for the majority of us, you know, we haven't been hospitalized. Um, The the main guidelines are that you need to be symptom free for seven days. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they kind of walk you through this graded approach that lasts about seven days on each stage. Um, And it starts with really low level stretching, breathing exercises. Um, Then it kind of progresses to longer walks and yoga and maybe Pilates and then it'll progress to low intensity, you know, maybe some elliptical, some cycling. And it takes about a five, it's about a five week program before you're really supposed to be back to where you were before, Um, which is a long time. I, I, I looked at the guidelines and I was like, oh gosh, I don't know if I could follow this. Now let's see how this relates to Jeff's experience and how he did with the recommendations. Basically, yes. Yeah. yeah. So they told me that I should 100% take off until I am completely symptom free, um, which I did, which for me was kind of that 10, 11, 12 day period uh-huh. because I still had a cough um, and I still had some lingering symptoms. So how did all of this impact Jeff's training for CIM? The day before I tested positive, um, so I, I was a month out from CIM. So the day before I tested positive, I had done my next to last long run. So I had, I had run, I was supposed to run 21 miles and I ran 19 hmm. and I only ran 19, which I know sounds silly because it's only two miles, <laughs> Right. but I only ran 19 because, and I know that saying only 19 is not sounds silly too, but because I started feeling not great during the run. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so like what, like short of breath or something or just. Yeah. Not- just that it was harder than it was, than it was supposed to, because I had had some really good long runs leading up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I was in, in relatively good shape. 
um, kind of going into that. Um, my goal for CIM was all over the place. I, I think I was really going to focus on running a sub 250 marathon. Yeah. Um, so I felt like I was in that kind of shape that I could run a sub 250. Um, yeah. And then when I was running, um, that I was on the NCR trail, so it wasn't like I was running a lot of hills. And by the end of the run, kind of maintaining a 710, 720 pace hmm. w- was not easy. Hmm. Um, and I decided to call it quits. So did you, was your first thought COVID or what? Um, I didn't think COVID immediately. I just kind of thought like, I honestly thought that I might've had the flu because that was my experience with what the flu felt like. You know, I started to feel a little achy during the run. I started to feel a little, a little more tired than I'm supposed to feel during the run. Um, and I just started to feel like this is harder than it was, was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so my, my initial inclination was that I might have the flu. Mm-hmm. Um, in hindsight, I should, have, I should have kind of immediately thought that I might have COVID. As Jeff was talking, I tried to imagine how it would feel being so far into training and testing positive for COVID. That was basically my worst fear before running Houston a few weeks ago. Like mentally, what did testing positive, like how did that hit you being so far into training and like your training was already going so well? Um, it crushed me. It was, it was pretty, I mean, I, I'll say two things. One, I, I think I've always been good mentally with kind of rolling with the punches. Um, but it did, it, it did really kind of sting because I hadn't run a marathon in two years because of COVID. Um, it took me a while to convince myself that I wanted to train for another marathon. Um, mm-hmm. and then when I finally did, and when I finally felt like I was getting it in the shape that I wanted to be in to run it, um, that happened. So, yeah. um, you know, I kind of had a mental struggle when I started training, um, which was basically like, I haven't run these distances in a long time. You know, do I really want to be doing this again? And then by about October, early October, I was, I was into it. You know, I, I had had some good long runs under my belt, some good workouts. Um, and I was kind of getting myself mentally ready for that. You know, you're doing this. <laughs> um, and this is the training that it requires. So yeah, it was, it was clear from the conversations I had with the people that I trusted the most, um, that I should not be running a marathon basically, you know, going with three weeks post testing positive. I quickly was told over and over and over again that it's a respiratory virus, um, that attacks your respiratory system, you know, which is your lungs. So essentially the short version of, of, of it is it attacks mainly your heart and your lungs. Um, and when you run a marathon, you use your heart and your, and your lungs. <laughs> right. Um, we've all heard stories of elite athletes in top physical condition struggling after COVID-19. In a New York Times article by Jordan D. Metzel, MD, he claims that recreational athletes, including runners and triathletes, have complained of prolonged respiratory symptoms during exercise. 
and that pulmonary issues from COVID-19, including pneumonia, have caused breathing difficulty during exercise for weeks or months following infection. In the same article, Dr. Metzel warns that COVID-19 is an aggressive virus that spreads easily and carries significant morbidity and mortality. Cardiac risk, in particular, is greater with COVID-19 than with other viral diseases. So what are doctors seeing in terms of heart issues? Well, so the myocarditis was most, they saw the majority of those cases to be for people who had been hospitalized, um, not really for people who had not been. Mm-hmm. Um, but to say that the the thing you have to kind of consider with that is, you know, people who have been hospitalized are going to be followed much more closely than people who never were. So in in some senses, we don't know if people had myocarditis and we just weren't tracking them because they weren't in the hospital. You know, it wasn't something severe enough to really impact them um, long term, maybe because, you know, they took a while to get back to activity, maybe because the level of, of myocarditis wasn't high enough to really inflict any serious, you know, condition or something like that. Mm-hmm. But but it is mostly common in people who, you know, were really, really sick. And I think that even if I think that we wouldn't even really know because so many people have had COVID that that we don't really know what the actual true incidence of who actually suffers from myocarditis and who doesn't. Okay, so what actually is the risk? Could pushing it if we have COVID cause myocarditis? Myocarditis is really just like a fancy way of saying like anything itis means just like an inflammation of and then Uh, myocardium is the muscles of your heart. So with any level of inflammation, it always varies. It could be, you know, if you had a severe level of inflammatory uh, markers in your heart tissue or in your heart muscle, likelihood is you would probably have some fairly severe symptoms if you have a really low level of myocarditis that maybe you wouldn't notice, but you went out and did a really, really difficult workout um, and you just kind of push through, I think that's where you've seen, I think where they've seen kind of some of the more, you know, tragic and traumatic sure, cases yeah. of young, healthy people really pushing it because they didn't realize, you know, what they were dealing with. Um, is and, it, does it, can you feel it? Is it like a chest pain? Like, is that, are there symptoms yeah, like that? Yeah, it can feel like chest pain, almost kind of like, kind of like the symptoms of a heart attack, like kind of like a chest pain or like that elephant sitting on your chest type feeling, um, things like that. But again, like it, it depends on the degree of inflammation of that tissue. You can have, it's just, it, I will, I don't want to say it's just like a tendonitis because I'm not a cardiologist, so I, I'm yeah. probably not qualified to make this, um, statement, but if you think about a tendonitis or a tendinopathy people have really different symptoms based on how long they've been dealing with it, how acute it is, how, you know, how, what types of activities flare it up, what their baseline level of irritability is. So it can really range. And the same kind of is true. Any inflammatory uh, condition is, is there's a lot of grades to it. And if you push it, you know, if you push an Achilles tendinopathy, because you do a really fast hill workout, you'll have trouble walking the next day and it'll feel like, miserable um and the same is just you know your heart is is a totally different structure that requires you know it's a it's a it's it's a way higher risk thing to mess around with than an achilles tendonitis 
Some people should see a cardiologist before exercising. If you experience chest pain, shortness of breath, or fatigue during your illness, your doctor may recommend seeing a cardiologist before running again. I think runners, a lot of times we're, we're so healthy, we're so used to avoiding physicians that when it comes to actually going to see one, we think, oh, well, that's just like really dramatic. I don't really think I need to do that. Just call your doctor and see what they have to say, because that's, that's what doctors are there for. We've heard about some of the symptoms and warning signs that come along with COVID, but what if you test positive and you're asymptomatic? Yeah, so it's it's an interesting concept because technically the guidelines are, well, you need to be asymptomatic for seven days, but if you've never been symptomatic, then theoretically you could continue exercising. In my opinion, I would, if I knew I was COVID positive, I would take um, the next, I would take the next seven days really light just because if symptoms, symptoms can be really delayed and when they come on, um, and you don't want to put yourself at a higher risk of developing those symptoms because you keep just training your body when it's, when it is in fact fighting an infection, whether you're symptomatic or not. Um, because the test is basically testing whether or not you have, presence of this infection. And you might not have symptoms, but they also might not be there yet. And you don't want to set your body up for, you know, to be in a position of, oh, well, now I'm going to just continue to stress my body like I always do under the assumption that you're, you're not actually fighting an infection when you in fact are. Um, and so that's what I tell people. If you're COVID positive, you don't feel anything yet. You can maintain a lower level of activity. I think you can still, you know, do maybe, you know, uh, things like a you know a low impact cycling or a low level cycling workout or a nice easy walk jog on your treadmill at home or things like that, but I wouldn't do something that really exerts yourself for at least the first seven days of of testing positive um, because you just don't know what could un- unravel. When I first got my symptoms, I was like, oh you know, this isn't COVID. This is a cold. I've had this before. This is nothing. Um, I worked out fine. I felt fine. And then, you know, within four days, I was not feeling good enough to work out at all. Like I was not in a a good fitness place. So did I do that to myself because I kept pushing it through what I thought was a cold? Possibly. I mean, I, I think that could definitely be true. And also, you know, the idea that, you know, you can't really get outside and, and run when, you, when you're COVID positive. You have to kind of stay inside and work out on your own treadmill if you have one. So it's, it, might, it just might not be worth it to really try mm-hmm. to maintain your current level of fitness for seven days if I think the alternative should be that you really take it light for seven days and just watch to see if any symptoms unfold. <laughs> Now that we have all this information, let's go back to our case study. How did Jeff feel when running and about running while he had COVID? And what happened when he started running again? Um, Did you actually feel like you couldn't run or were you more scared to run? For the first four or five days, it was both. Um, After about five days, maybe six, if my memory's serving me right, um, Mm -hmm. It was more that 
everything that I had read and every, everybody that I trusted that was in the medical profession had told me what can be some, some, what were described as long-term side effects. Mm. If I got back to, um, endurance training too quickly. So I started running again. Um, I think the day after Thanksgiving, which was November 26th, if my memory is correct, but whatever it's, it's close to that. Right. Um, so I essentially had like eight days that I could have done whatever, um, and r run the marathon. But when I started running again, it was hard to breathe. Yeah. Um, I tell, I, I tell a lot of people, if you, if you've, if you've gradually gone back to running and you're, and you're having chest pain as you start to initiate, you know, a light jog or your lighter workouts, I would see your physician. I don't think that's anything to mess around with because chest pain is just, it's just something you can't, you just can't play with. What, after my second day of running post COVID, I knew that I, that I couldn't run a marathon. Like it, it, it was hard to breathe. And at that point yeah. I was a week out, six days out. And I was like, this just isn't happening because the odds that I can finish this marathon right. um, are pretty astronomical. And I personally would always rather have a did not start than a did not finish. I still struggle with it. I still, I still went with, uh, um, maybe I'll kind of snap out of it for lack of a better, you know, I, I, yeah. I the, the coach in me was like, there's no way you're going to be able to do this. The athlete in me was, you're just going to wake up tomorrow and you'll feel fine and you're going to snap out of it and, and, and you're going to start running again and you'll be fine. As runners, we not only train our bodies, but we practice mental toughness and have high levels of self-efficacy, which is the belief we have in our own abilities to succeed. Combined with a high pain tolerance, it's no wonder we have such a hard time cooperating when we may be too sick to run. Yeah, no, I mean, my, my experience, and, I, you know, and again, I think part of this is to keep in mind the level of athlete that I coach and how many miles we run, but... Um, you know, my experience starting with myself and then the hundreds of, of athletes that I've coached is that we're, we're all in that. I'm going to run, I'm going to run, I'm going to run. And, you know, it's going to take a bone sticking out of my skin <laughs> for me to justify to myself that I, that I shouldn't be running. Um, and a lot of times, you know, we we're counterproductive to ourselves. We covered a lot of information and learned how sickness can impact training as well as addressing the hot topic of COVID and exercise. Now let's hear some final words on what to keep in mind when determining if we should lay down the miles or just lay down. Um, let me think. I think, you know, the absolutes, like I said before, no fever, no chest symptoms. I think in terms of COVID, there are pretty, pretty well-established guidelines and, and to consider the fact that those guidelines were you know, manufactured with previous mutations of the variant, which, which were, you know, from what we think as of right now, we're a little more serious, but we're not quite sure. So I think yeah. following those guidelines is still really safe. Um, I use a lot of times I tell people there's a scale that we use in physical therapy called the RPE scale. It's the rate of perceived exertion. 
Um, it's basically a scale of like, how hard is this for you to do this? Um, and that's actually the scale they use for the, the British Medical Journal for returning people post-COVID and getting them back to activity oh. of um, being able to basically put yourself through a workout and say, you know, okay, it's, it's, it's on a weird scale of like six to 20, but you hmm. can do it zero to 10 or, or whatever else, as long as you're kind of consistently tracking, like, okay, how hard is this for me really? And let's be honest with, with myself. And, and now you can also use um, things like your Garmin watch that track, you know, your heart rate, your sleep level, your stress levels, things like that. Um, oh, yeah. And using that data to be like, okay, well, how rested am I to do this? How, you know, is a lot of times when we're fighting infection or when we're sick, our, our resting heart rate will be higher because your body is in an inflammatory state. Um, so mm -hmm. using metrics like your resting heart rate, is it is it more elevated than it typically is? Um, do you don't feel rested when you're when, you know, based on the amount of sleep you're getting and then using that RPE scale to say, like, OK, I'm doing this three mile jog. And for some reason, it it feels like a 12 when usually it feels like an eight and just just having different metrics that you can track and say, do I feel like I'm getting better? Or do I feel like I'm getting worse based on, you know, my day-to-day -day activity level? Using the tools we have to keep us honest about how we're feeling is really important. But Jeff drops the real question we need to ask ourselves in the next clip, as well as the hard truth about taking needed rest. Is the damage that you're doing more impactful than the gains that you're going to benefit by this run? So... If you have a cold and you've had a cold for three days and you're like, well, I really got to get a run in and that run may, may make that cold last seven days right? instead of being gone tomorrow, then you should have skipped that run. As endurance athletes, we have to accept the fact that we can't always be on. So we can't always be in training mode. We'll get hurt. And it's the fastest way to get hurt. Now Maggie's going to send us off with a lesson on etiquette. And I can't think of a classier way to end the show. Finally, I just wanted to add a little etiquette around being symptomatic and going on group runs. I think in our present age of uh, rapid spread of COVID, the best thing you can do if you're not feeling well is to definitely not go on a group run. Think about those around you, take care of them because they're going to be taking care of you and come back to the group when you're feeling well. Thanks again for having me on this episode, and I look forward to hearing from the rest of you guys. Bye. Okay, Jeff, did I miss anything? Right. So, so almost always the answer to that question is no. Oh, really? Okay. Actually, one more thing. Here's some more info on Jeff and Dr. Neuror and how to get in touch with them. For what I do, you have three different options. Um, there's a, the, the training group, which I've already touched on, which at this point, the only one that I coach is the Boston group and the Boston qualifying group. Um, but I also do virtual coaching, which you have two options for that. Um, we can do a, just a virtual training plan. Your other option is I have monthly coaching. Um, monthly coaching comes at more of a cost, um, but it's – a lot more hands-on. So I'm going to design a, a month of training for you. And we're going to, we're going to talk usually every month, whether it's in an email, whether it's a conversation, whatever you're more comfortable with. Um, and we're going to grow the training based on what you're doing. 
Right. So to get in touch with me, you can do one of two things. Uh, you can email me is the best, which is just Jeff, J-E-F-F, at charmcityron.com. Um, I am always welcome to phone calls. So my cell phone number is and I know that Nikki has a lot of followers on Instagram. So I know that that means my phone number may, may be going to a lot of people. Are you sure? Are you <laughs> um, open that up? Well, I may change that. So I may have you edit that out. <laughs> I work at uh, Sinai Hospital in Baltimore. So if you online, you can find us at lifebridgehealth.org slash running. And that should bring up our running website. Um, and that's the program that I head up here in Baltimore. Um, I'm also on Instagram uh, pace underscore doctor. Um, and I put a lot of, you know, you know, patient stories, running videos, gait analysis, um, injury prevention tactics, things like that. So you know, pace, pace doctor is probably the best way for anyone to get a hold of me. Um, you can just message me there. Um, or you can email me at G as in grace, neuror, N-E-U-R-O-H-R at lifebridgehealth.org. Um, and I, that's another way to kind of reach me. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please head over to Maybe Running Will Help on Instagram and follow us. Our profile has links to the latest topics, how to send us a voice message, and where to follow, like, and review so we can reach more listeners. You can also hit me up at One Classy Mother Runner, where I expose my personal experiences with mental health and trauma in order to create awareness and hope to those struggling to recover. And of course, you'll find plenty of posts about my training and our beloved sport. Keep running, keep inspiring, and keep sharing how maybe running will help.